facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Thursday. It's August the 24th, 2023. So happy that you're with me on The Kale Clark Show. Got lots to get to today, but let me give out the phone number first. 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Listen to the line to talk to me for free on The Kale Clark Show. And here's what we're going to talk about today. You need to have some skin in the game, and I'm glad that you have skin in the game. You're with me. You're contributing to the program. You're in it alongside me. We're going to talk about St. Bartholomew later on. He was flayed alive, skinned for his faith in Jesus Christ. Oof, that is awful. Talk about having skin in the game. But who was he really? Who was he really? Plus, the incredibly inspiring story of a little girl who 10 years ago had brain surgery that spared her life, and now, a decade later, she is working alongside the doctor who saved her. It's an incredible story. Plus, talk about skin in the game, marriage. Wow. It is a lifelong commitment. And I'm going to tell you about the seven habits of couples who stay together forever, or at least until death. And that's the goal, right? So, uh, yes, you'll still see your spouse in heaven. That's okay. But anyways, let me give out the phone number again, 888-914-9149. You can see me on the X app as well, on the Twitter app, also known as X, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And you can email the program, kale at relevantradio.com. Dot com. Well, by the way, this whole idea of skin in the game, having skin in the game, that's the title of a book. I, I don't know if you've read it. I, I, haven't, I haven't read it yet, but I really, really want to because I keep hearing about it. it it's a book by Nicholas, uh, ne, sorry, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And uh, uh, he wrote this book in 2018. It's called Skin in the Game, Hidden Asymmetries in Daily Life. And he was actually a former options trader. He kind of worked on Wall Street. And then he became a professor, which is kind of interesting. And he went from practice to theory in a certain sense. But um, it's kind of part of a, a sort of a, a book, a uh, multi-volume book project that he was working on. It's, it's called The Inserto. And there's another book called Fooled by Randomness, which came out in 2001. The Black Swan. And no, it's not about ballet dancers, The Black Swan, and that, that came out in 2007. Uh, there's another book that's quite well-known, Anti-Fragile, that came out in 2012. So, but, but this book, Skin in the Game, what is, what is the theory of skin in the game? Well, it's, essentially, it's, it's that you, you need to have a shared risk. If there's ever something major going on, uh, you're taking on a major decision, um, um, there's a major project that's happening, there has to be shared risk among the parties. Otherwise, um, it's just simply not fair. And uh, people can get hurt and others can get off scot-free. Th- think about this. Uh, the Romans, when they were building bridges, they used to have the architects, the engineers, sleeping under the bridges that they were building. Okay, you're so sure this thing isn't going to collapse? You have to sleep underneath it. That's what I'm talking about because there's a lot of asymmetry that's out there in the world and Taleb talks about this um this 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 concept that's called in economics missing incentives uh one actor gets all the rewards the other person is stuck with all the risks so here's an example of that so you've got a financial advisor 
and they pocket a percentage of your portfolio, however much money you've got invested, 2%, 3% of the pot, whatever it is, then if there's no downside for them, if they don't, if they don't have to assume any of the risk, like for example, their, their pay gets docked by the amount that your portfolio is tanking. If it's tanking 10%, he loses 10% of his income. That's usually not the case. There's usually no downside for these guys. So they're incentivized to take big risks, to take big swings, to try to make more money. And hopefully you'll make more money too. But if they if they fail at this and you lose, they kind of get off scot-free. And this is a huge problem in society when risks are transferred to other people. Corporations do this all the time. Uh, politicians do this all the time. Uh, Warhawks, for example. Uh, hey, I think it's a great idea to go to war with this other country. Well, are, are you going to be enlisting? Are, are you going to be picking up a weapon? Are you going to be manning a post? You know, as, as Colonel Nathan Jessup once said, and a few good men. Um, Highly doubtful. There's going to be a lot of blood blood and treasure spilled that's probably not going to be yours if you're ordering this to happen. Not saying that this doesn't weigh on on people who have to make those decisions, but it's a different ball game when you have skin in the game. And from a corporate perspective, uh, maybe a classic example is the Bob Rubin trade. That's what Taleb calls the Bob Rubin trade. Who's, who's Bob Rubin? Well, Robert Rubin was a very well-compensated director at Citigroup Corporation. And at one point, Citigroup was bailed out by, by U.S. taxpayers because they had taken wild swings, taken some big risks, they overreached, and they they were in big, big trouble. And so they, they didn't have to suffer any any personal penalty for this. So, so Taleb calls this sort of thing a Bob Rubin trade. So there's all there's all kinds of, of aspects to this. But, but Christianity, by the way, we talk, we're talking about St. Bartholomew, who paid for this with his life, his faith in Jesus Christ. Talk about skin in the game. He was skinned alive, according to tradition, for his faith in Christ. And, and it's, it's, his life is pretty shadowy. There, he's one of these saints, apostles that we don't know that much about. Um, is he the same guy as Nathaniel? A lot of people think he is. I have some thoughts on that coming up. Nathaniel, of course, mentioned in the Gospel of John. But I would say Christianity is is clearly the greatest example of skin in the game because, um, and and Talib talks about this too, that that if you look at all the controversies in the church in the first few centuries of the church's life, all the Christological controversies, most of the major heresies or false teachings that that the church had to fight against were were around the person and nature of Jesus Christ. Is he 100% God? Is he 100% man? Is he a little bit of both? What's, what's the deal here? Does he have a human soul? All, all these things, which, which might seem like theological hair-splitting, they're really not. Not at all. The Arian controversy, which nearly destroyed the church. Arius, this renegade bishop who said, basically, Jesus isn't God. And that's why the Nicene Creed was formulated to, to spell out the, the faith of the church that Jesus is, yes, God. Consubstantial with the Father of the same substance. Namely, divinity. Yeah, he tacks on a human nature at the incarnation, but 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 he's one divine person with two natures. So Talib talks about the church's insistence on this, the full humanity of Jesus. And it's kind of interesting that one of the great dangers in our culture today is is not just people trying to minimize the divinity of Jesus Christ, people doubting whether or not he's God, but people also doubt the full humanity of Jesus. That's that's equally as damning of an error. And so we're going to be talking about this, by the way, next week on 
on the Faith Explained program, I'm going to be starting a brand new series on Tuesday. So mark your calendars for Tuesday. On Tuesday on the Faith Explained, 1230 Central, we're going to be starting a new series called Jesus 101. We're kind of going to be, going, to be going back to school. Everybody's going back to school right now. Colleges, universities are starting up. Um, a lot of your kids are back in school. You might be a student who's back in high school listening to the program. And anybody who's back in school, maybe you're out of school now, hopefully, at this hour, but maybe not. If you're just getting out of school or picking up your kids, call me right now, 888 So we're kind of going to go back to school a little bit on Jesus and figure out what we need to know and why. It's very, very crucial in our age, in our in our times, when our faith is very much under fire, we need to know what we believe and why about Jesus. So we're going to go back to basics. How can we be sure about Jesus? You need to know how you can know what you know about Jesus, if that makes any sense. Um, how can we be sure? So it's, it's really, really important. So we're going to be talking about everything from the existence of Jesus to what, what are the best places to find information about Jesus? Did he really do miracles? Uh, what was his teaching all about? Can you trust the Bible? All this stuff. So that's going to start next week on Tuesday, 1230 Central on Relevant Radio. So please get the word out on social media. Tell your friends. Email them. Uh, they can listen on the app. They can stream it. They can share it. It's really, really important. So we're going to be talking about where faith and facts collide. Faith and history colliding. And that that's where the magic really happens when it comes to our faith. And, and that's what Talib talks about with respect to you know God having skin in the game with, with the incarnation because again all these controversies about who Jesus is what he's what he's all about God literally had skin in the game the incarnation he took on a human nature he fully participated in this life you can't say you can never say to God you don't understand what I'm going through you don't understand my suffering you don't know what it means to be human you're not off in yonder heaven somewhere um, pontificating, if you will. I'm the one who's going through it uh, in the crucible of life. No, he did it too. He did it as well. And he said, well, it's, it's, it's not the same because he's God. It was easier for him. Well, maybe it was, as C.S. Lewis said. Maybe it was. So what? It doesn't matter. Uh, he still went through everything, all, all the agony, uh, the self-sacrifice. He, he experienced death. He experienced the loss of loved ones. So he, he experienced the risk of human life. He experienced the, the what, what Talib might say, you know, people are fooled by randomness. You know, he was in it. He had skin in the game. So I think that's something that we can really look to. And it's certainly something that St. Bartholomew thought about when he was thinking about dedicating his life to Jesus. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Nine one four nine is the number to call. You can follow me on the X app at Kale Clark, C A L E Clark with an E. All right, so let, let's talk about Bartholomew really quickly because a lot of people are confused about who he really is. Um, uh, there's a great tradition in the church that he is in fact Nathaniel, uh, the same person as Nathaniel in uh, John's Gospel, who famously in John chapter one asks, eh, you know. Philip says, hey, check out this guy, Jesus. We, th we think he's the Messiah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's from Nazareth? Give me a break. <laughs> so what's in a name L like Bartholomew? This is part of the answer to the question. And I'm telling you, I'm a guy who takes a lot of heat for my name. Um, it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit easier for me now because there's a famous hockey player. He's actually going to be on the cover of 
NHL 24, Kale McCarr. He plays for the Colorado Avalanche. They won the Stanley Cup. He might be the best player in the NHL. So spells his name the same way as me, C-A-L-E. Um, but for a long time, I, I was the only person that I knew who had that name. And uh, in, in latter years, in these last few years, I, I've quickly had to qualify things. When I say, hi, my name's Kale, I, I usually have to say not spelled like the vegetable. And this leads to a little bit of witty repartee or what passes for, for witty banter in which I explain the origins of my name. Um, my, my dad, in fact, was a, was a big NASCAR fan, like a lot of you are, and his favorite driver was Cale Yarborough back in the 1970s. I don't know if you remember this guy, but um, when I was born, eating Cale the vegetable was not a thing. It wasn't a thing. And so I like to joke now, now that it kind of is, uh, you know, it's becoming a problem for me. So I'm, I'm thinking about changing my name to Arugula, but I haven't done so yet. But uh, this kind of gets me thinking about, about the names in, in the Gospels. And there's certainly some unique names among Jesus' apostles, like St. Bartholomew, the apostle. It's his feast day today. And when we talk about this, this whole concept of Jesus 101, which we're going to deal with starting next week on the, on the Faith Explained, what can we know about Jesus? Well, there are a lot of critics of the faith who want to allege, and, and they will do this in, in the academy and scholarly circles, and they will uh, do it in the, in the popular arena as well. They'll, they'll try to allege that you can't trust the Gospels. You can't trust Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're not good sources, people will say, about information on Jesus. They're not based on eyewitness testimony. You can't trust them. That's hogwash for many, many reasons. And here's one of the reasons. They've recently started doing a lot of historical studies on names, on names in Jewish antiquity in the first century, in Roman Palestine. In other words, the Galilee, where where Jesus was, was walking the dusty roads. There, there's, a, there's an Israeli historian um, named Tal Ilan, Tal Ilan, and, and he did a lot of work on this. And um, there, there's a, a modern New Testament scholar by the name of Richard Balcom, Dr. Richard Balcom. And in 2006, he came out with this groundbreaking book. It kind of shook the industry, um, shook the, the, the academic world. It was called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Now, Richard Balcom. Uh, taught at Cambridge University, so very, very prestigious. Uh, Oxford, Cambridge, you know those names. And he showed in this book, and it's really, really well done. He said that like certain names that pop up, names that you'll see in the Gospels, they make sense from a historical perspective. This smacks of an eyewitness detail, because no matter what region you were kind of hanging out in in the Roman Empire, People had preferences for certain names, just like you know, there are certain popular baby names even to this day that people choose. Um, like Olivia has become a popular girl's name these days, you know, things like that. Beautiful name. Um, Nick Senovich's wife's name is Olivia, so and they just recently got married. A producer here at Relevant Radio. So, for example, like there are always popular names in, in different places and in different times. And in Egypt, it's interesting because uh, they, they've studied the. There were obviously Jews living in Egypt. Remember when the Holy Family made their flight into Egypt? One of the reasons why they probably went there when they were escaping the, the terror of King Herod is that there is a good 
solid, maybe not huge, but but a Jewish community in Egypt. And, and Joseph was thinking, I can probably get a foothold there, maybe get some work. People will help us. And so in Egypt, there were there were Jewish names there that were different. They named their children different names than they did in Palestine, in Roman-occupied Palestine, where Jesus lived, even though they were right next door to one another, Egypt and Palestine in a certain sense. So uh, my friend Greg Manette, he wrote this book called The Wrong Jesus, and he, he took Richard Balcom's list uh, of the most popular Jewish names in Roman Palestine, and he, he kind of compared it to the list of the apostles of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. So let me, let me ask you, here, here's a quiz, quiz for you. What do you think was the most popular name for a boy in Roman Palestine in, in Jesus' day in the Holy Land? Let me, let me, Producer Jim, let me ask you this. This is just a quiz. You, you, if you don't have the right answer, that's fine. Patrick Alog, you can, you can weigh in in the chat. What do you think was the most popular boy's name? If you get it wrong, that's okay. Jesus. It, no, no, actually, well, Jesus was, 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 was actually kind of up there. <laughs> it was up there because the name Jesus means Joshua. It's the same name. That's it's the right. same name. Yeah, but um, uh, Patrick Alog guessed Judas. Close, close. The number one name was Simon. Simon. So th think about Simon, who was called Peter. Now, Peter is his nickname, right? It means rock or rocky, but his actual name was Simon, right? Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Um, so there's Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. James was the 11th most popular name. John his brother, the two uh, sons of thunder, if you will, it had nothing to do with you know, passing gas or anything, but the son, th sons of thunder. Um, John was, that's the number five boy's name in terms of popularity. Philip, Philip introduced Bartholomew, maybe, to, to Jesus. Philip was actually pretty low on the list. Not many people were named Philip. 61, that was number 61. Bartholomew, Bartholomew was number 50, also not, not, not that popular. Thomas, Matthew, Matthew was ranked number 9. James, number 11, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, number 39. And uh, Simon the Cananean, there's another Simon among the apostles. And then Judas, actually, you're, you're really close, Patrick Alog. Judas was the number 4 name, number 4 most popular boy's name uh, in the Holy Land when Jesus was born. Now, that obviously went away pretty quick. <laughs> uh, not so popular. Not so popular anymore. And that's why there's, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's, the, there's also Jude who wrote one of the letters in the New Testament, the letter of Jude. Well, actually, his name is Judas as well, but he was probably like, hey, don't call me Judas. Just call me Jude, please. I don't want to be associated with that guy. Um, but, but there you have it. So all, all, all of this kind of explains why whenever somebody has a name that's really, really popular, like Simon, um, they have to figure out, well, which Simon are you talking about? Because people didn't have last names back then. Okay, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It, it means Messiah. It's his title. Uh, so they have to say, okay, well, Simon, the son of so-and-so. Simon Bar-Jonah, that's what it means. Simon, son of Jonah. Um, Simon the Cananean, where you were from, was, was a way to tell. Like, that's why Jesus of Nazareth. There were a lot of guys named Jesus back, back in those days. Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, that guy. Okay. The divine savior. Got it. All right. So there are qualifiers. The patronymic, your father's name, um, place of origin, and 
why does all this matter? It, it just it, all of this shows that the Gospels actually are totally historical. They cohere with the way things really were at that time. They're very, very um, historically accurate. So if, if the Gospels, as many people allege, as many people allege, if the Gospels are really written many decades after the events in question, some people think that the Gospels were made up out of whole cloth, just totally fabricated. What do you think the likelihood is that they would have picked the right names? If they're just making up people, if they're making up the 12 apostles, what, what's the likelihood they would have picked the right names for their quote-unquote characters? It's kind of like somebody today, and Greg Minette says this, it's kind of like if you were writing a fictional story set 100 years ago in another country, like Serbia or something, what, what, what's, what is the likelihood that you would have historically accurate names for that place at that time? You could Google the answer, I guess, but you couldn't do that 2,000 years ago on your own. Technically possible, but highly unlikely. So the Gospels display very accurate first century Palestinian Jewish names. It, it's a mark of authenticity. They're written very close in time to, to the events that they're talking about, the life, the ministry, the career of Jesus, eyewitness testimony. These are named people, named people. So somebody might say, okay, Kale, all right, I buy this, but maybe they still made it up. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was made up by some, okay, maybe they weren't written 100 years after the fact, okay. Maybe they are close in time to the life of Jesus, the Gospels, uh, when they were written makes it more likely they're historical. But somebody still could have made up something even at that time. It still could be a fabricated story. Well, here, here's, the, here's the problem with that objection. There are still, there's a multitude of living witnesses still around. Um, you can't fudge the, the life of Jesus, the career of Jesus, because there were eyewitnesses to his life, his career, his resurrection that were still alive when they were writing the New Testament. Um, in fact, there's one ancient writer, I think his name is Quadratus, who says that there were people that Jesus raised from the dead that lived on for decades and decades afterwards, even to, in, into the next century. St. Paul says that there were over 500 witnesses at one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And he says, most of these guys are still alive, by the way. Some of them have died, but you can go ask them, essentially. If you don't believe me, you can go ask them. Give them a call. Here's their cell phone number. Check it out. So... I think it's a great, great mark, these names of authenticity. But again, we do have to ask the question, who is Bartholomew? And is he the same guy as Nathaniel? We're going to talk about that after the break. Plus, much, much more. You're not going to want to miss this. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. Hey, welcome back to the show, 888-914-9149. That's right, that's the line to call if you have a question, a comment about what we're talking about. 
Today's the feast day of St. Bartholomew, Apostle, and uh, we talked about before the break how some of the names that are mentioned in the Gospel are a really good reason to believe that they are historical, that's eyewitness testimony about Jesus not made up after the fact. But let's talk about Bartholomew. He did have skin in the game. He certainly entrusted his entire life, his existence to Jesus, and it is said that he was skinned alive. Um, there, that's why we, there, there are paintings of him, I think in, maybe in the Sistine Chapel, he's kind of holding his own skin. You can see his rippling muscles, you know, the skin's gone, but, but, um, but he's holding his skin suit, if you will, in his hand, and there, there's a statue in the Vatican as well of this. But, but who was Bartholomew really? Is he the same person as Nathaniel? Um, t- tough to know. The, the first time he is mentioned outside of the New Testament isn't until the 4th century. There's a famous uh, writer named Eusebius who wrote a book called Ecclesiastical History. It's kind of the first big-time history of the church, um, maybe after the Acts of the Apostles that was, that was written. So... Uh, Eusebius says that at some point, Bartholomew went to India. And in terms of what constituted India at that time, it, it, it was like sort of a big, big area. So, um, and not to complicate things even even more, we're, we're really not sure if he is the same person as Nathaniel. You might have heard that if you went to Mass today. You might have heard a homily about that. And this is actually one of, the, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible because it really shows the great sense of humor that Jesus had. And Nathaniel probably was a was a funny guy as well, because here's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 43 and following. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? I mean, it was considered kind of a backwater town. And Philip said, come and see. So he's a little, he's a little skeptical, to, to say the least. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Now, that, that is a great one-liner from Jesus. Say, I don't get it. What, where's the joke there? Well, who, who was Israel in the New Testament? How, how did how did the Israelites get their names? From one of the patriarchs, Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob, his, his name essentially means trickster or liar because he tricked his brother out of his inheritance and the blessing. You know, the story about Jacob and Esau, of course, and how he wore the wig and, and all that stuff. Um, but, but, so his name essentially means liar. You know, so here is a true... Israelite. Here's a true Jacob in whom there is nothing false. So I just love that. It's kind of a pun by Jesus. It's great. Here's a true liar in whom there's nothing false. It's it's kind of funny. But of course, um, Jacob was this great person of faith as well, who who wrestled with the angel and would not give up until he until he got the blessing. And so he says, it's a great compliment that Jesus pays Nathaniel. He says, in whom there's nothing false. There's nothing false in you. There's nothing false in this guy. And he would know, right? Jesus would know. He knows all things. He sees all things. He is the Lord. He's all-knowing. And so Nathaniel immediately is kind of taken aback. He says, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were, under the, while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. 
Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall, shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that too is a, is a reference to Jacob as well. Because Jacob had this vision, of course, at night of Jacob's ladder. And, and he saw you know, heaven open. He saw angels ascending, descending on Jacob's ladder. And it wasn't a natural ladder. It was a staircase, a stairway to heaven, if you will. With apologies to Led Zeppelin. We, we talked about this on our Exodus series in The Faith Explained. And really what it probably was is the outer staircase in a, in a temple, a cosmic temple. The, in the ancient world, there are these temples called ziggurats. Um, pass me a ziggurat, uh, and, and, and that you would, you would go up the steps of the temple and meet with the god that you were worshiping. It was all in the pagan world, of course, at the top. You'd meet him at the top, meet him at the penthouse, and he would come down and meet you, allegedly. Well, that, that's not real. These are pagan, fake gods, but this actually did happen in the case of Jesus. Okay, God literally did descend and become one of us, had skin in the game, as we talked about before, with apologies to Nicholas Taleb, he had skin in the game, just like Bartholomew did. And if Nathaniel's if Nathaniel's the same guy, he literally was skinned alive for this. And so he's like, "Wow!" Nathaniel's like, he, what, "What? What was he doing under the fig tree?" Many many people had had a tree in their yard, and they would sort of study the law. They'd read the Bible under the tree, and, and this is what scholars would do. So maybe he was reading about, maybe he was reading some prophecy about the Messiah a few minutes before Philip got there. Who knows? But Jesus knew he was there, and this this supernatural knowledge that he was displaying, and Nathanael's convinced right away, you know, of his identity. So this this is incredible, and. Uh, and that was the beginning. Now, is it the same person? We don't know. We don't know 100% for sure. Um, there, there are, Nathaniel, why do people think this, by the way? Nathaniel is not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's not mentioned. He's only in John's gospel. But Bartholomew is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but he's not mentioned in John. So a lot of people think, well, it's got to be him. It's got to be Bartholomew. Just, just a different name. But that scholar I told you about before, Richard Balcom, uh, just to let you know, he, he cautions us a little bit about being too dogmatic about this because what does the name Bartholomew mean? It means Bar Tolmai or son of Tolmai, just like Sa- Simon Bar Jonah means Simon, son of Jonah. Bar Tolmai. So the name Tolmai was, again, or Bartholomew, was only the 50th most popular name, 5 0 uh, at that time. So if you're going to use such a unique name as as Nathaniel would why would you why would you need to rename somebody Nathaniel because already hardly anybody was named Bartholomew you, you do have to figure out who which Simon you're talking about because that was the most popular name but you don't have to do that with Bartholomew so I mean Nathaniel's a really uncommon name it's actually tied with Bartholomew for 50th place so there's no real need to change your name to figure out who you're talking about. So I don't know. Maybe they're the same person. Maybe they're not. Bart and Nate, I don't really know. We'll figure it out in heaven, hopefully. Uh, but we do know that these names are, are legit, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mark of authenticity. So we can celebrate uh, this feast, maybe have some kale. Actually, I did have some kale. I, I, my daughter, Michaela, made some chili She's, she's starting to cook, and, and she put some kale on it. made it really healthy. So so uh, have some kale, maybe some arugula. I don't know. But 
Anyway, so that's 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 a piece day. Love to to hear your questions about that. Um, all right, let's go to let's go to uh, the phones right now. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Let's go to Steve in Ridgewood, New Jersey, in the Newark area. Hi, Steve. Hi, Kel. Uh, thanks for uh, taking my question. Uh, yeah. I was just I had read somewhere that the name Bartholomew means uh, uh, without guile, and and maybe that maybe that is why he changed his name from Nathaniel to Bartholomew after the Lord made that joke you were talking about. Mm. What do you think about that? I guess I'd have to look up, again, like Bartholomew means bar Tolmai or son of Tolmai. I'd have to look up what Tolmai means, whether that means anything. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's again, it's really hard for us to know whether, whether it is the same person or not. It's not, a, it's not a matter of faith, so you can believe what you want about that. It, it's, not, uh, it's not part of a dogma of the faith, you know, that Bartholomew is Nathaniel. He might be. He might be. But, but it's interesting to look at the, these name studies, that, that's for sure. That is absolutely for sure. So I can't comment on that. I, I don't really know. But we do know for sure that when Jesus looked at Nathaniel, he said, hey, there's nothing false in you. There's no guile in you. You're completely without guile. Would that Jesus could say that about us? You know, if he, if he looks at us, what would he see? What, 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 would, what would his nickname for us be? Would, would, he, you know, would he call you the rock? Would he call you something else? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting to, to, to think about uh, to be sure, uh, you're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah. Uh, oh, let's 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 go. Um, let's go down to line two. Actually, we got an interesting call from Mark in Honolulu, in Honolulu, Hawaii. Hi, Mark. Mark, are you there? You're on the air. Okay. All right. I think Mark is um, away from his phone. We'll check back on him. We're certainly praying for everybody. Uh, in Hawaii, uh, the, the devastation. So, all right, let's. Um, okay, okay. Oh, so you want you want? Okay, well, you want to do the story later? You want to do that story later about the girl, Jim? Okay, all right. Sounds good. All right, so we, we will get to this incredible story about this girl who, uh, ten years ago, had life saving brain surgery, and she's now working with the neurologist who saved her life. It's an incredible story. That's coming up after the break. But I, I want to I want to talk about this right now as well. Th- this is intriguing. Again, this this whole theme of having skin in the game. I want to talk about about marriage. And again, this whole idea of skin in the game is that you have a shared risk in the outcome. Um, it, it, the the asymmetry of, of one person accepting all the risk and another person just kind of along for the ride. That's not what marriage is all about. That's for sure. Everybody. Has to be all in. Both parties have to be all in, one hundred percent, in order to make this work. And obviously, couples who make it work, uh, we can learn a lot from them. And I, I would say, I don't know how anybody makes it through 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 a lifetime of marriage without a shared faith. But you also need interpersonal skills as well. It's it, there are many. Sadly, the divorce rate is well over fifty percent, even for for Catholics. They they split up. They separate, and, and that, that ought not to be the case. Um, grace builds on nature, but you got to cooperate with grace. And you, you still need nature as well. You need some good natural skills, some good interpersonal skills to make your marriage work really well. And, and there's a, a very uh, popular psychologist who's on Twitter. She has millions of followers, Nicola Para. She calls herself the holistic psych. And she has written about this. The seven habits of couples who make it. 
remember the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey? Well, what about the seven habits of couples who make it, who make it, who, who stay married, who stay together through thick and thin? So she, she says this, uh, writing on the X app, she says, as a couples therapist, I noticed seven patterns within couples who, quote unquote, made it. And here they are. So this is something we can learn from if we're married or thinking about being married. Uh, number one, they were friends. They were friends. They weren't just spouses. They were also friends. They genuinely enjoyed spending time with one another. They were excited to come home to each other, catch up after a long day. They liked doing little things together. Friendship was the basis of their relationship. That's a good, that's a good foundation to have for sure. And, and obviously you've got to have that romantic attraction. You've got to have, there is a physical component to, to, to marriage. And let's face it. Uh, the, the act of marriage between husband and wife, that, that, that is sacramental. That's sacramental. And that's, that's clearly what, what differentiates marriage from, from any other friendship. And it, couples that, and obviously there may be physical difficulties or other things going on as well, of course, but, but, uh, that's what, you know, if you, if, if there isn't that act of marriage happening on a semi-regular basis, at least then, then you're, you're essentially roommates. You're not, you're not husband and wife. Um, you are, but you're not living as such. So that, that could be a problem too. And that, that's another talk for another day, but I'm certainly not Dr. Ruth. That's for sure. You're, you're asking the wrong person about that, but Here's, here's what Dr. Nicola Paris says. Here's the second thing, the seven habits of highly effective couples, if you will, that stay together, things that she noticed through her couples therapy. Number two, they had been through really dark times together. Been through really dark times together. And, and by the way, if, if, you, if you can relate to any of this, if this is resonating with you, what you've experienced in your marriage, why don't you call in 888 Nine one four nine. Number two, they've been through really dark times together. They'd been through difficult periods where they were at a crossroads and even had second thoughts about whether they wanted to continue. But they did choose to stay together, work through their issues, and this established trust. This established trust. Number three, they made light of each other's quirks. They appreciated and acknowledged the quirks in each other, even if they were at times annoying they made light. Everybody does annoying things. Everybody's got issues and, and uh, quirks and quarks and foibles. I know I have them. My wife is very saintly for putting up with me. But uh, they, they, they kind of had some fun with this. They were never hypercritical of one another because of this. Because these things can really become, you know, mountains can be made out of molehills here. You can fixate on these things and it can drive you crazy. Or you can kind of have some fun with it. Interesting thought. Number four, the seven habits of highly effective couples. They let each other be themselves. There was a base level of respect and admiration for each other rather than a desire to change each other. This freedom brought out the best parts of each of them. Uh, interesting. So, I mean, people can change. Um, if you go into a marriage thinking you'll change this person, it's a bad idea. A lot of people try to do that. Oh, I'll change them. No, you won't. God can change a person, though, and hopefully we're all changing into the best version of ourselves or becoming saints. But at any rate, freedom to be oneself. Number five, they fought. And you might think this is not a, ha a habit of highly effective couples, but number five, they fought with each other. They got on each other's nerves. They fought. They were frustrated with each other at times, but they knew how to navigate conflict 
bounce back and move forward. And she talks about that a lot. Every relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's an employer-employee relationship, it's a coworker relationship, it's a teammates on a sports team, it doesn't matter. Every relationship will have conflict of some kind. But the question is, how do you repair from that conflict? That's the key. How do you repair? How do you come back together afterwards and, and, and sort things out? That is absolutely the key. Number six, they had difficult conversations. They didn't avoid the tough topics. They didn't deny them. But they communicated and were open to each other's perspectives. Emotional regulation. They, they didn't explode. Ah, I can't believe that. They, 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 they kind of were able to regulate their emotions and kind of stay calm. And then the last thing, number seven, they had boundaries with family. They put their relationship first. They had clear boundaries with family. Parents, in-laws did not come before their relationship. Even kids didn't come before their marriage. And they didn't vent to other family members about problems or, or go to them. I can't believe this guy. <laughs> or I can't believe my, my wife did this or whatever. They didn't make decisions based on what their families or extended families wanted them to do. They did what was best for their family, their own marriage, their own situation. And they made that decision together. Interesting stuff from Dr. Nicole LaPera. Do you relate to any of this? Do you have issues with any of this? Uh, which one of these things do you want to happen in your own relationship? Let me know. 888 We'll be right back after the break on The Kale Clark Show. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Faith, facts, and fun. It's The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888 If you want to comment on the seven habits of couples who stay together who are effective... Uh, that we ran through before the break, or we talked about St. Bartholomew's skin in the game earlier in the show, uh, give me a call, 888-914-9149. Wanted to share the story with you, though. This is an incredibly fun story and just a heartwarming story as well. Uh, coming out of Toronto, this is amazing. A neurosurgeon who performed a life-saving operation on a 10-year-old girl, his brain surgery, is now working alongside her in his lab this summer, and she she is helping him out. She is his researcher. This this is just absolutely amazing. Dr. James Rutka, who's a neurosurgeon at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, uh, was interviewed by CTV News along with his former patient and current research student, Jessica Rosenblum. So 10 years ago, uh, she was brought by ambulance into the hospital by chance, Dr. James Rutka was on call as the neurosurgeon on duty that day. And the, she, Jessica Rosenblum had, had a, a very, very serious brain tumor. It was the size of a tangerine located in the pineal gland, uh, the pineal region of her brain. And it is a very, very delicate location, according to Dr. Rutka. Um, this, this, was, this was just a really serious situation. He was able to operate on her. He was able to save her life. And... and in fact, they, they had told her pr- prior to this that, that it was not possible to, to save her life, that it was inoperable, uh, but that wasn't the case. So check out this audio from CTV News. Following the surgery, Rosenblum says her parents were warned she may have to relearn how to walk and might not be able to breathe on her own. 
But instead, she says she woke up talking, joking, and asking questions. I needed to know everything that was happening to me, and I needed to know why. That desire sent her on a path studying biology and anatomy through school and now nursing in university, ultimately bringing her back to the hospital where she was first diagnosed nearly a decade later as a summer student in Rutka's lab, learning alongside the man who saved her life and was her doctor until a couple years ago. Having seen her now through all of these uh, treatments and knowing that she was going to work in my laboratory for the summer was, uh, for me, um, a real dream come, come true. I was so sad when I graduated to kids and had to leave Dr. Rutka, um, but now working with him is, he's still the same amazing person, but now not as much as my doctor, but as a mentor. Rutka says it's inspiring to see a child flourish following such a serious diagnosis. Once she's completed her nursing degree, I, I would just say, let's just watch Jessica perform and uh, let her go. Don't get in her way because uh, we'll only be obstructing the great progress that she can make uh, on her own. Rosenblum still needs to go for regular MRIs and had to have more radiation therapy a couple years ago when her tumor grew. Researching cancer while living with cancer is an interesting feeling, um, but it, it gives me some sense of like power almost to be able to look at these cells like under the microscope and be able to say like, I'm in control of you right now. Like I'm figuring you out right now. She plans to get her PhD with the hope of finding a better way to treat brain tumors in children. Allison Hurst, CTV News. Uh, that, that's just an incredible story. I, I, I did, what are the odds of that, that she would come back and work for the doctor who saved her life as a research assistant? Now she's studying cancer. And I love just the, just the agency that she has there. She's like, yeah, I can do something about this. Yeah, I feel like I'm attacking cancer now. I just what, what, a, what a great story. That's incredible. Uh, coming out of Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. Let's go to the phones right now on the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. It's going to Mark. We got Mark back on the line now from Honolulu, Hawaii. Hey, Mark, we're praying for everybody out there in Hawaii. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, aloha from Hawaii. I have aloha. a quick question regarding uh, this uh, this morning's reading. Uh, talked about the, uh, the crown on the Blessed Virgin Mary with the 12 stars, mm -hmm. representing the 12, uh, uh, the Israel... Uh, 12 tribes and the 12 apostles is one of those apostles judas or was judas not one of those the 12 that are, are mentioned yeah that's a great question mark um he was he obviously was originally and uh he kind of went his own way and did his own thing and it didn't turn out well obviously um but having said that th this is exactly why when, when you keep reading when you read the acts of the apostles the the first book after the gospels matthew mark luke and john then there's the acts of the apostles it talks about the, one of the first orders of business for the infant church is that judas has to be replaced they can't go on with just 11 apostles and and the reason is because of the fact that as you mentioned you know israel had 12 tribes and this is exactly why Jesus chose 12 apostles for his church. And, I, and nobody disputes that he did this, by the way. This is a, a historical fact about Jesus that pretty much everybody would grant. And it's very clear what he's doing and what, what he's saying by this, by the way. Um, he, he's essentially saying, I'm, I'm rebuilding Israel. I am reconstituting Israel, the people of God. And, and it's, it's going to be the church. And that word church uh, comes from the word ecclesia. It's the Greek uh, word ecclesia, and that's mentioned in the Greek Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, for the people of God yeah, gathered together. And so, yeah, we call it the church in the in the New Covenant time, but it's, it's essentially Israel 
with the Messiah having come. It's Israel with the Messiah having come. And it was, always the plan was to open it up to all the other nations of the world as well, to the Gentiles, what God promised to Abraham. That's why the Gospel of Matthew starts off with, you know, this, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David. Um, because this is what God promised to Abraham, that, that, that all the nations of the, of the earth would be blessed through him and come into the same family, the same community. At least it's possible for them to do that. So that, that's why there has to be a 12th apostle, and that's why they have to select or elect. And obviously God superintended this. Matthias replaces Judas in the Acts of the Apostles. There has to be that office. His office has to be, or his episcopate. That's where we get the, the word episcopal for the bishops, the uh, successors of the apostles. It has to be filled so only God could do such a thing. He had the audacity to say, oh, I'm, I'm starting this community with 12 apostles. Everybody in Israel knew what he was doing, what he's saying by this. Only God could do such a thing. And so that's another proof of, uh, that Jesus thought he was divine, I think. I think that really, uh, that really makes a lot of sense. So I hope that helps to, to answer your question there, Mark. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and, and all the, the people of Hawaii who are who are obviously undergoing a lot of suffering right now. And um, a lot of people are still trying to be accounted for, and searches are ongoing, and uh, our prayers are certainly with you uh, from everyone here in the relevant radio family. All right, let's go really quickly to Ramiro in California, in Central California. Hi, Ramiro. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm great. I'm great. You certainly don't have to call me sir, but thank you. Well, Thanks for calling. you know, I, I, I listen to your show and all the relevant radio uh, um, shows that come out throughout the day. I travel a lot and um, uh, throughout the day, and uh, it's pretty awesome to have relevant radio on all the time and, uh, and just sharing our Catholic faith. But more importantly, we were talking about marriage, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been married 40 years. Wow. To my best friend, who, my best friend for probably like, six years and uh, childhood friend and and uh, I think the key to a good marriage is number one putting God in front of your marriage number one yeah Uh, and there's not always perfect it's never perfect there's not always not always roses although I love bringing her flowers but (laughs) um you know I I love it Ramiro I gotta gotta jump in there I'm so sorry Call, call call back again but I love that. Yeah, you have to put God first and, and bring flowers, too. It's always good advice. Thank you so much for listening to Relevant Radio to The Kale Clark Show. Jim Shaper produced. Happy anniversary, Jim. Three years today. Patrick took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.